Hey everyone, this is David from the Think Leaders team. Welcome to IBM Think Leaders podcast. Had a great discussion today, continuing a nice deep dive into how AI is augmenting human intelligence. And with the experts that we had on today's show, we really got into the history. Both of them had a pretty diverse uh, extended background and saw how AI was disrupting society in both the good ways and potentially uh, some of the, the ways that we need to think about risk. So it was a fascinating discussion and I hope you enjoy. Happy listening. Hey everyone, this is David from the Think Leaders team. A welcome to our podcast discussion uh, where we're talking about how AI is augmenting human intelligence. Really excited to have uh, with us today in studio, Denise Brody, who is the CEO at Workforce Software, and also Roy Jarasa, who is the Distinguished Professor of Law at Pace University. So Denise and Roy, welcome to IBM Think Leaders podcast. It's our pleasure. Yeah, Perfect. thank you for having us. Super yeah. excited to be here. Uh, we'd love to just give a little context about your various backgrounds. So tell us a little bit more about your, your work. As you introduced me, I'm the CEO for Workforce Software. I've been part of the technology community for the last 24 years, purely focused on enterprise technology software. Mm -hmm. And I kind of joked with Roy right before we started in the lobby that when I had my first job out of uh, school in technology, I was programming mainframe. And wow. today, if you look at the advances of technology and where we are, it's been an amazing progress. So, Roy, what about yourself? I've been a lawyer since uh, 1962, mm -hmm. and I practiced law mainly in the, in the courtroom for about 40-plus years. And then I was combining practice plus teaching, and finally all teaching because I wanted to write books and mm -hmm. articles and uh, get into the theoretical. I wanted to see more and more of what is taking place, you know, from a scholarly point of view, see where it's heading. And uh, this is, has led me to where we are today and uh, dealing with incredible changes that are taking place from a technological point of view. So obviously major disruption with AI, but at the same time, you would imagine if you're taking something that used to take a significant amount of critical thinking and an hour spent uh, with expensive attorneys now being reduced in a short period of time. How do you think we can go about leveraging some of this? Because obviously that's, that's easier said than done. There's fear from certain segments of society, but you would imagine the flip side is how could we better leverage this? The flip side is that all this data <clears throat> is available to you. So if I want to know anything about almost any subject matter, mm -hmm. uh, it's immediately instantaneously available. Yes, it could take away a lot of the, the type of work that we don't like that's boring mm -hmm. and make us into attorneys who can, you know, think and analyze and 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 try to help our clients from a legal point of view, how to do their due diligence in a, a far more perceptive manner. So Denise, what about yourself? You mentioned being kind of involved in this space for a pretty large period of time. Uh, what have you kind of noticed on your own end that, yeah. that has changed? I think the use case adoption has been an interesting piece. And, you know, let me back up a little and explain a little bit what we do at sure, Workforce. Please. Literally, we digitize timesheets and it sounds so simple. Somebody punches in and they punch out. But just in the U.S. alone, there's 420 regulations. So when you're trying to come in and create an employee schedule and optimize that as a manager, 
you literally could go through thousands and thousands of timesheets to do this. What the managers and employees really want is they want to do more interesting things in mm. their day to day. They don't want to be coming in to do approvals of timesheets. They don't want to synthesize through a thousand timesheets to get the most optimal schedule. So the question is for us, how do we take machine learning and marry it into our forecasting, right? Where we truly can analyze so much data off of our software and come back to a manager and say, here's the most optimized schedule. Again, that digitization and the marriage of, you know, artificial intelligence into the forecast is something that you can come in and really track a measurable return on investment. And that's when you want to come in and do the use case scenarios. You don't want to adopt technology just for the sake of it. So do you think companies, and this is for both of you, do you think companies then need to do a better job of explaining to employees about how AI is going to free up certain time, go to higher uh, level level tasks, maybe something that is more emotionally or career-wise rewarding? Is this something where people are doing a poor job explaining this? Absolutely. I think there's too much tech jargon. We actually sat with one of the largest retailer globally. They have regional managers that literally sometimes will spend four hours of their day driving and all the backwoods have no access to a mobile, no access to even wireless connection. And what they would love to do is while this person's driving is just to turn on the voice assistant or the chat box function and say, hey, who's working at store number one, two, three? Mm-hmm. Tell me all of the people that are scheduled, their background, how long has this person actually been a manager, who are their direct reports, how's the store performance doing, and be able to have our software talk back without having to pull over, pull up a laptop. And by the way, if there's no wireless connection, it's not going to help you. So instead of constantly throwing out the technical jargon to employees. It's almost like use the use cases and the scenarios to think about a value approach that would say, we're going to reduce the time that you would actually pull over in the road for 30 minutes a day. While you're driving for four hours, you can visit four or five stores. And while you're doing it, you can do your homework. Certain delegation of tasks really get into the delicate area of trust. I'm curious, one, to explore and to trust, but two, also better understand from both of your experiences what you think some of the common pain points are for the employee experience that they would like to see more AI integration. Yeah, but I think trust goes in both directions. In our workforce management solution, we work heavily to benefit not only the employers, but the employees. And I'll just throw this example. I'm with the education customer where... By the way, there's 16,000 employees that are using our software, but the organization does not want to give the 16,000 employees mobile because Mm -hmm. they're nervous that when they clock in and out, they may be doing it from home. But as an employee, again, if I have access to a mobile and I'm sick that day, I like a consumer grade, I'm most likely able to come in and be on my mobile quicker than I would get onto a laptop or have to sign into the network. So I think it goes into both directions. Right. What about your, yourself? What are you seeing on your end? Students are uh, somewhat uh, confused, but also uh, being uh, becoming more and more 
uh, acquaint with the uh, the concept that they have to uh, start uh, adapting. We sure. can no longer have our educational system the way we have it at the present time, where we totally ignore all of the technologies that are, that are occurring and that will deeply affect uh, their their positions. Uh, so I'm bringing into all of my classes the uh, uh, blockchain and, and mm-hmm. uh, artificial intelligence and and now quantum computing uh, and and t- urging upon all of them not to, not to remain solely in a, in a business school setting, but actually to combine that with with the uh, with our school of computer science and information systems. That these courses have to be integrated. Yeah. We are attempting to now slowly compel our students who are very hesitant to it because a lot of them lack math skills. Many of them have only the most basic internet uh, skills uh, as far as their programs. And now we're telling them, you're not going to get through. You're going to be left behind unless mm-hmm. you now uh, connect into the uh, these, these technologies. They're not going to have one job in their lifetime the way it was in my lifetime. They're going to have three, four, five, and six jobs in their lifetime. Hopefully, they're all interconnected uh, with each other, just advances in the, those jobs. Mm-hmm. But they have to be ready to adapt to all of the technologies out there. Two areas that, Roy, I think you're bringing up. One is digital literacy. Do we need better integration of that throughout our educational system? But also the idea of interdisciplinary or transdisciplinary types of education is the very model of majors. Is that becoming outdated for 21st century learners? Is the current that- curricula is outdated. There's no question that is it is huge deficits in the way it's being taught. And we have the same old problem as you do in every profession. Professors who've been teaching there for a long time are hesitant to learn something totally new. And why do we have to? I still remember when I first started teaching, one professor said, why do I have to learn a computer? I don't have to learn uh, what a computer is. I, I don't need it, and et cetera. You can't just relax and, and just take the courses that we're feeding you, but our feeding you has to include all of the latest technologies and on your own, if necessary, get uh, acquainted with uh, the various programs, sure. the various uh, tech advances that are happening on a daily basis. If you're discussing kind of both of you with your involvement in the area of, of AI uh, and other emerging technologies, uh, love, and Denise, we'll start with you. I'd love to hear, uh, then how did you how did you get into this space? We haven't really dug into that yet. What, what about, you know, AI or, or other kind of emerging technologies? What um, attracted you to that field or, or what led you there? Yeah, I think just the whole career and technology, I would say it's been completely accidental because Every single company that I joined, you know, I did consulting first where I mentioned I did the programming at the start of my career and it was just such a great baseline. And then I ended up working for a startup in California between 2000 and 2001 that happened to be acquired by SAP. Mm -hmm. And then I had a chance to spend couple years with a development organization and launching some of the new products and offering and really seeing how the application on core business solutions married with innovation could really drive so many different things. It's really easy to come into companies and fix sales and marketing, right? Mm -hmm. It's really tough to come into tech companies and fix development and fix the product. So I think that 
if companies today, especially for enterprise technology, if they don't already have AI or you know machine learning in their solutions, they're already behind. You would think that there's so many people adopting, you know, workforce management, labor management, but 60% of our customer base is still greenfield. We just mm-hmm. uh, went live with a customer last year where they had 16,000 users. So you can imagine 16,000 users entering about 10,000 manual timesheets. Just to put in their solution and automating and digitizing the process saved them 12 days and payroll processing. And that's just a start. So imagine if they start adopting some of the other scenarios that we have in our solution around that. You know, the fear of adopting some of the technologies has really even caused some companies to be in such a laggard position that they haven't started any digital transformation. Well, is it just a fear or is it also a need to better showcase clear ROI? Yeah, absolutely. On, on some of these issues, right? Yeah. Because um, digital transformation, also a topic that we've explored frequently on on the show. That's something that it seems to come back to, right? It's like, are we able to apply it in ways that we can clearly show? Here's the investment, and here's what we're going to get. Absolutely. We know we're very fortunate in the workforce management space because we have a hard ROI. It's Mm -hmm. not like the core HR where how do you really measure productivity and engagement? You know, in our space, we're measuring things like, you know, making sure that, hey, there's compliance and you're unionized and you happen to be using our software and you don't get fined. You end up having the savings for a year or just basic overtime. You would not imagine how many of our customers end up paying overtime because the schedules are incorrect or they end up not having certain people fill the right positions, right? So based on seniority, based on the regulations, based on whatever their company policy is. So you really have to look at the use case and make sure that's getting adapted appropriately and tied with the ROI, not just purely rolling out technology for technology's sake. Let's try to imagine the next couple of years, you know, primarily if we're discussing how AI can be leveraged in the workplace around kind of augmenting human intelligence. What are areas uh, where you think businesses are really going to see those use cases for, for applying AI? In the next two years, it's not even the movement around, you know, all the technologies that's out there, we're going to be inundated by all of the compliance and all the regulations that are coming from the globe. I think that is one of the biggest trends that we underestimate. It's moving very slowly right now because Congress has a difficulty passing anything these days. (laughs) But nevertheless, President Obama and President Trump both are heavily uh, involved in AI. In fact, in the latest proposed budget by President Trump, he was reducing a lot of uh, money for research, but expanding the amount of research for AI. And also they're promoting STEM, you know, the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics programs starting as early as early grammar school. They understand that this STEM has to take place from the earliest ages because otherwise we will not, as a nation, as workers and so on, be able to withstand the onslaught of all that's going to happen. So uh, would you say then you're you're hopeful about the next couple of years about where this this is going? But also uh, aware of the dangers. 
I mean, it's easy to talk about the the biases and and the uh, algorithms that can be cleared mm-hmm. up uh, without much uh, too much difficulty on that. But I am concerned about facial recognition. If we continue talking about risk, if we transition talking about how a company might better manage the risk, both your backgrounds focus on in various threads of risk and compliance. So Denise, from your end, what are you kind of seeing on that? Governments globally will continue to pass regulations that is going to impact everybody, whether you're a small company or a large company from a tech perspective. And I think it's better to be proactive and look at, you know, how do you set up the security in your software to already be GDR compliant for the U.S.? Why do you need a regulation here to get passed before you do that? Sure, it makes our jobs a little bit more difficult on the sales and marketing front, but it protects our customers. And I think at the end, if you can't provide that amazing customer experience and create a trust as, you know, somebody that is the software provider with the customer, eventually you're not going to hold on or retain that customer. So I think it starts with a culture within your company. Mm -hmm. And I'm a huge advocate that literally, if it's a best practice and we're seeing it in Europe with GDPR, why not automatically embed it into our software on the U.S. front? Why wait? I guess that gets into the idea of, you know, are we creating country by country standards? Are we creating kind of a more universal standard or which way will AI policy and regulation head? You know, I look at this as very simple. Just think about your day-to-day consumption and then multiply that by the magnitude of having to do business in a global environment. It would be great if we had one global standard. And why not facilitate something like the United Nations where everybody's already coming together to do something like that? Mm -hmm. And again, why are we sitting here waiting, right? Why do we not have, you know, especially in the tech community, proactively do this? Standards tend to copy each other. I've noticed that over the many, many years that countries copy each other's to a very great extent. There's a tendency to try to connect with each other, but you're always dealing with countries with different moral standards, different religious standards. So you always have those issues. The United Nations does have proposed conventions that they put out, Mm -hmm. and it's up to the countries whether or not to adopt it. But by and large, most of the industrial countries uh, do adopt the uh, recommended standards that the UN puts out. The way we like to end our show is is by getting a little more personal, right? Talking about how technology is affecting your own life. So Roy, I'll start with you. How is AI augmenting your own intelligence? How has it impacted you? In my uh, eight decades of, of life, I have never been so excited as I am today. Wanting to learn, I can't get enough of it. Every morning, I spend an hour looking up the uh, MIT websites yeah. and uh, Wired and other mm-hmm. websites, getting the daily uh, changes that are, that are taking place. It's a fascination that is all-encompassing and one that I'm trying to uh, convey to all of my students. Yeah. I see how it will directly affect the lives of my children, of my grandchildren. It just created a hunger for knowledge 
almost more than I've ever had in my life, to see a technology that encompasses philosophy and the mm-hmm. sense of consciousness, politics and political science, which is my other degree. And when it gets into sociology regarding jobs and how society is to adapt to it, mm-hmm. when it encompasses even religious aspects of it in connection with consciousness, yeah. it encompasses, again, the sciences, the chemistry, biology, and certainly physics of all, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the, the most part. Uh, and just go right down the line. I've never seen anything that is so broad of a spectrum uh, that I, I just can't get enough of it. That's a good way to live. So Denise, <laughs> what about yourself? Roy, I could not agree more. I would say that I've always been curious, but the desire for life learning has not really happened until the last five years. And really, you only need to have two mindset, right? Which is one, you need to be curious. Mm -hmm. And the other attribute is you need to have a desire to be a life learner. And that's what's going to make somebody successful, at least my perspective in the technology world and practicing, because there's no way you're going to learn every single new trend that's out there. But if you have the curiosity and you have the desire to learn, you can learn anything. Yeah. I love that. Well, Denise and Roy, thank you for coming on IBM Think Leaders. Thank you for having us. Lots of fun. Thank you. Hey, I really appreciate you listening to IBM Think Leaders podcast. And you know what? You might have listened to this show, but not uh, be a subscriber. So don't forget, uh, wherever you listen to IBM Think Leaders podcast, to hit subscribe. Thank you.